Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 120. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. They make electrolyte products that you can match to your individual sweat sodium concentration so that you can adequately replace the sodium that you lose through your sweat, which especially in longer races and longer training sessions with more intensity and even more so when it gets hot, it can be a critical factor for sustaining performance and even have an impact even have an impact on things like cramping, so reduce the risk of cramping. I personally love precision hydration and I use it whenever I train for longer than an hour on the bike in particular, but also on hot days when when running, and especially if the run is long, I might run with a hydration vest that can where I can take a couple of handheld bottles and have them in the vest and that, that will I will fill them with precision hydration to make sure that I get my sodium adequately replaced. You can get 15% off your precision station order with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses. They have an industry-leading in-house design and development team that is constantly looking to take the products to the next level, find small tweaks that they can make to make the product even faster or even more comfortable. Whatever it is, whatever the product category is, the goal is always to get slightly better. And they have really done so in all of the product categories that they have entered. The Maverick X2, for example, is a perfect example. It's uh, their flagship wetsuit model with their classic arms up technology, but also things like an exoskeleton to help you really use your core properly and include that to generate propulsive power in your stroke. Uh, a perfect buoyancy profile to make it almost as buoyant as their max buoyancy wetsuit, the, the Maverick MX. And there are plenty of other examples. Also on the eyewear side, we have things like the online uh, vision test, so you can update your prescription right from your home on their website. You can get 20% off any Roka product with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Now on to today's question, which is from Nikolai in Denmark, writes, Hi Michael, great website and podcast. Do any of your interviews or do you know somewhere I can read about a different training type, different training based on muscle fiber type? For example, if, if I'm slow twitch or fast twitch dominant. Personally, I am very fast twitch dominant and I would like to read a bit about how to best tackle the training from this perspective because I found that traditional training doesn't work. Best regards, Nikolai. Thank you, Nikolai, for your question. And uh, I haven't done any interviews on this specifically, no, but it is a super interesting question and it definitely warrants a deep dive in this Q&A. So that's what we'll get right into. It is actually quite timely to answer this question now because it was as late as in 2020 that some really groundbreaking research in this area started to happen because previously the only way to determine an athlete's dominant muscle fiber type was through an invasive muscle biopsy. And that has started to change actually in the recent decade. It is nearly 10 years ago that uh, at a lab at Ghent University, a non-invasive method for estimating muscle fiber typology was developed. And that method is based on the measurement of uh, carnosine in the muscle using proton magnetic resonance spectroscopy. 
Carnosine is uh, stable in the muscle in that it isn't really affected by things like what you just ate, what you did for training yesterday, and so on. And its concentration level in fast-twitch muscle fibers is uh, around twice that of uh, slow-twitch fibers. So uh, since it can be measured with uh, magnetic resonance spectroscopy, this has been used to develop a method where you can estimate muscle fiber type based on the the measuring of muscle carnosine content. And this technique has started to allow for some really cool studies that have only just been published in 2020 with more participants than you would normally see in a, in a study that was uh, using muscle biopsies because those are, as I said, so invasive that very few people tend to sign up for those and, and they are not very common at all. So... In this magnetic resonance spectroscopy technique, the carnosine concentration is expressed as a Z-score relative to a non-athlete control population that have been scanned. And if you think of what it looks like, think about the normal distribution, a bell curve. So a Z-score of zero is uh, what you get if you're bang in the middle of the normal distribution. So your fiber type distribution is very average. A Z-score, on the other hand, of minus 2 means that there's only 2.5% of people that would have a lower carnosine concentration than you. So this reflects, remember, that carnosine is uh, more concentrated in fast-twitch fibers than in slow-twitch. So if only 2.5% of people have a lower carnosine concentration than you, you are very much a slow-twitch typology. And on the other hand, a Z-score of plus 2 indicates that only 2.5% of people have a higher carnosine concentration. So you are a very fast-twitch athlete. And of course, then there are Z-scores everywhere in between minus 2 and plus 2. And of course, somebody will have a Z-score that is uh, greater or smaller than plus 2 or minus 2. But but generally speaking, that's the range that we're looking at. So a link to two papers that are that, that are describing this method and uh, and how it works and and giving some normative references as well. So one of them is called a new method for non-invasive estimation of human muscle fiber type composition, and the other is called cyclic movement frequency is associated with muscle typology in athletes. But uh, on to the research that now has been has been done using this new technology that allows us to say that actually there are things that we can do to individualize training based on muscle fiber typology. The first one is uh, around how muscle fiber typology uh, affects the acute response to exercise and the recovery in particular. And this, the reference here is another study that I'll link to in the episode description, and it's called Muscle fiber typology substantially influences time to recover from high-intensity exercise. And what this study did was they took 10 subjects that had an estimated higher percentage of fast-twitch fibers. So they had Z-scores of uh, more than 0.5. And 10 athletes with an estimated higher percentage of slow-twitch fibers. So they had a Z-score of uh, less than uh, minus 0.5. And uh, they each uh, went through a training protocol, a workout that consisted of three times 30 second all out on a stationary bike. So three Wingate tests. Before this workout, they had measured the maximum voluntary contraction. So the maximum force produced by, by these athletes in a machine, a knee extension machine. And they did this after the workout as well. And uh, they did it at several different time points from 
I think five minutes after, ten minutes after, and up to five hours after the Wingate test to measure the time course of recovery. In the actual Wingate tests, the 30-second all-out efforts, both the fast twitch and the slow twitch had the same average power. But what was different was that the power drop from the maximum power achieved in the first sprint in the fast twitch group to the the end power in the last sprint was significantly higher than it was in the slow twitch group. So a 61% power drop in the fast twitch group compared to 41% in the slow twitch uh, group. In terms of the recovery and the maximum voluntary contraction forces, full recovery occurred in the slow twitch group already after 20 minutes post-exercise. But when they did the last check five hours after the exercise, the uh, the fast twitch group still hadn't recovered their maximum voluntary contraction force. So obviously the research protocol was already set. They didn't continue measuring. They just stated that yeah, full recovery had not been reached. And the interpretation here is that this suggests that although this was 90 seconds of all-out exercise, three times 30 seconds, but despite that, if you are a fast twitch athlete, the time course of recovery can be very significant, at least five hours, as this study showed. And who knows how much longer until full voluntary contraction was uh, was reached. So, And a very big difference, of course, compared to the recovery time course for slow twitch athletes. A limitation of this study is, of course, that, well, five hour still isn't that much in the grand scheme of things because usually we train if we train uh, twice per day then we still have maybe five hours or more between workouts but if if you're like thinking about how you will recover from a hard workout to a hard workout the day after or two days after then it would be more interesting to see what happens 24 hours or 48 hours after but uh, it's just the best that we have at the moment other studies have only gone as far as investigate how different fiber types recover up to 20 minutes or so after exercise. And actually, many of these types of studies are done in vitro, so with uh, singular muscle cells and not with living athletes. So, so that's another. So, it's just a step forward to what we have had before. Definitely, we need a lot more work done to be able to to really have a strong evidence base. But this is interesting to know and uh, it can have an an impact in how we at least how we generally think about athletes athletes that are more seem more fast which may just need more recovery not only from one workout to the next but actually if you think about it uh, what they did in this study with the three wingate tests it also showed that maybe even between intervals the fast which athletes may need more rest uh, a longer rest duration to be able to to perform the planned workout than a slow twitch athlete would just because the recovery time course is so different so what i think is the takeaway here is that we get a general idea of how comparatively speaking slow twitch and fast twitch athletes recover from an acute bout of intense exercise and that is that fast twitch athletes take a lot longer to recover so Let's get on to the next topic here, which is how muscle fiber typology uh, impacts the response to chronic training load and uh, basically an, a longer exercise period. So this is uh, a study called Muscle Fiber Typology is Associated with the Incidence of Overreaching in Response to Overload Training by Bellinger and colleagues in 2020. And uh, this study took 24 highly trained middle distance runner 
16 of them male, 8 female, and the males had a VO2 max of 73, and the females of 63. So they were very good runners indeed. And they completed three weeks of normal training to start with, and then they went into three weeks of overload training, where they increased training volume compared to the the baseline volume in the first three weeks with 10, 20, and 30% uh, week by week. So the first week was 10% higher, the second week was 20% higher than baseline, and the final third week was 30% higher than baseline. After that, they did a one-week taper period, which was a 55% reduction in training volume from the third week of, of high-volume training. They did uh, incremental uh, graded exercise tests on the treadmill before and after each training period, so before the start of the study, and uh, between the baseline period and the overload period, as well as after the overload period, before the taper, and after the taper. And they also controlled for things like resting metabolic rate, subjective fatigue responses, and various resting blood biomarkers to see what uh, whether they were affected as well as performance in a time to exhaustion test on the treadmill and uh, similar to the study before they used this same uh, magnetic resonance spectroscopy based method to to assess the muscle fiber typology and what did these researchers find well 12 of the runners ended up uh, getting a reduction in performance in the time to exhaustion so they were overreached because well, time to exhaustion, overreaching is defined as your performance goes down and then you can have functional and non-functional overreaching, functional being one that you can recover from and get a super compensation from. Uh, either way, uh, the 12 other runners, they did they did have acute fatigue after the overload period, but they didn't have a decreased running time to exhaustion compared to uh, the test before. And uh, then they correlated uh, the, the overreaching versus non-overreaching with the classification according to the, the magnetic resonance spectroscopy-based uh, muscle fiber typology uh, of the athletes. And they found that the, the Z score was significantly higher in the runners that were functionally overreached and had a decreased performance after the overload period. So that Z score was minus 0.44. Whereas the said score in the group that did not have functional overreaching or overreaching in general, I should say, was minus 1.25. And that was a very uh, a significant difference with a, a large effect size. And what this means is simply that the runners that didn't experience a reduction in performance after the high volume period, they have more, a more slow twitch dominant fiber type than the runners that did experience a reduction in performance after the overload period with a high volume of training. And I actually forgot to mention, but this also applied to the post taper test. So even the one week taper, there was still a big difference in the performance between the two groups, the quote unquote overreached group and the non overreached group in terms of performance. So, so even the one week taper uh, wasn't enough to put them at the same level. Another interesting finding from this study was that the overreached runners perceived that uh, more and more of their training sessions during the over overload block were drifting into feeling like being high intensity, even though in terms of heart rate and running speed, uh, they weren't. The, the 
training intensity distribution was the same. So this, the researchers say that this suggests a disconnect between the internal versus external training load and how training may be perceived in more fast twitch dominant runners that become overreached. So that was study number two. And again, this will be linked in the show notes. Uh, I highly recommend that you go and check it out. And uh, point number three that I want to make is from the same research group behind these first two studies or the research groups. It's a collaboration between Belgium and Australia, I believe. They are currently working on research about whether muscle fiber typology has an impact on the risk of muscle strain injuries. So if you follow explosive sports like football, for example, then intuitively it often seems like the more explosive, more fast-twitch athletes are always getting muscle strains, whereas somebody who is more uh, of a slow-twitch athlete, or at least not quite as fast-twitch and explosive, they are less prone to those types of injuries. So the hypothesis in this work is that the fast-twitch dominant players would exhibit more fatigue in the latter stages of a game and be more at risk for muscle strain injuries. So there are no results for this yet, but I just thought this is a very interesting topic that I wanted to mention because it's something that anecdotally uh, seems to be fairly well established. A lot of people are kind of talking about this, maybe not so much in triathlon because everybody ends up being (laughs) pretty slow twitch anyway, but uh, in team sports, you certainly hear a lot about that. Then the next point that I want to make here before going into some additional thoughts on the training is whether you can actually shift muscle fiber types. Are you stuck with the muscle fibers that you have and the types that you have or not? So remember that we have two types of fast twitch fibers, 2A, which are more of a combination of slow twitch and real fast twitch. They can work both glycolytically, anaerobically, but they can also work uh, with uh, aerobic uh, energy sources. So they can use oxidative phosphorylation to produce energy. So they're a bit of a mix, but they're still classified as fast twitch. That's two A fibers. The two X fibers are your real turbos that can only work anaerobically. And then you have your type one fibers, which are the slow twitch fibers. It seems very clear, and uh, I will link to a reference here, which is a, a great review on muscle fiber types. It's called The Effects of Endurance, Strength, and Power Training on Muscle Fiber Type Shifting by Wilson in 2012. And they state that it's very clear that training can shift type 2X fibers to 2A fibers and vice versa. So in the fast twitch category, you can have those shifts. And that is quite often what we're after with uh, specific types of workouts to make 2x fibers into 2a fibers or to target 2a fibers and make them better at working aerobically that's a very common workout objective for triathletes and endurance athletes but a bigger question is whether type 2 fast twitch fibers can be converted to type 1 slow twitch fibers and vice versa there are a large number of studies that have failed that have assessed this hypothesis and they have failed to show such a conversion Despite a wide range of subject demographics and training protocols from endurance to sprint to resistance training, but there are also studies that have shown such a shift. For example, different types of high velocity training, sprint training, for example, or explosive resistance training or plyometric training with a focus on high contraction velocities have managed to induce shifts from type 1 to type 2A and or 2X. And on the other side of the spectrum, some studies in endurance sports have shown that endurance training in cycling and running have resulted in an increased percentage of slow twitch fibers by 12% and 17% respectively. 
one study even looked at what happens when you're not training which for example intuitively and anecdotally again we tend to see perhaps after season breaks i certainly see it in some athletes and that study found that type 1 fibers decrease and type 2x fibers increase and this is an explanation for why we see some athletes set 5 and 10 second and even 20 or 30 second sprint power pbs very early on after a season break maybe just they had some fiber type shift and they got more of those crucial 2x or 2a fibers for that, that are crucial for that type of very short performance so in summary it's really not clear what is the case in terms of whether type 1 and type 2 fibers can shift between each other because different research methodologies have been used so so it's not quite clear how much stock you can put in the older research compared to the more modern research let's hope that more modern technology may help answer this question in the future but despite the inconclusive findings which the review admits that they are very inconclusive in terms of the type 1 to type 2 conversion they do give some general guidelines that might benefit endurance strength and power athletes respectively in terms of of fiber shifting and for us endurance athletes these guidelines are very simple and we didn't need a study to tell us that really high volumes of training at low and high intensities may be beneficial in causing a shift to more type 1 fibers which would obviously be great for endurance athletes so nothing groundbreaking at all in terms of practical applications but uh, you may find it interesting in terms of what is the status of the evidence for regarding fiber shifting and uh, finally let's move on to some additional thoughts and these are just my kind of things that i've seen things that i've heard uh, and all of this is more anecdotal and perhaps sometimes best practices uh, nothing that is necessarily backed by evidence but just wanted to throw it in there to things to think about that potentially might have something to them First, we already discussed, and this was from a scientific perspective, the acute recovery needs for, for more fast switch athletes and also the more chronic recovery needs or the response to chronic training load for more fast switch athletes compared to slow switch athletes. And I definitely agree also from an anecdotal perspective with what was found in these studies that we discussed uh, before. Uh, but then in terms of new other uh, other topics tapering is something that i find interesting and to some extent you can say that uh, the second study the chronic uh, adaptation uh, study looked at this i do find that longer tapers may sometimes be necessary for fast twitch athletes than slow twitch athletes there is a trend for sure that slow twitch athletes do really well or slow twitch dominant athletes i should say do really well off pretty short tapers and uh, the opposite would be true for more fast twitch athletes obviously this is a whole spectrum it's not as if you're either doing a three-day taper or a three-week taper but depending on like where you lie on that spectrum what your set score would be for example that could potentially have an a correlation to the length of the ideal length of your taper so taper length would be one thing then another thing is the type of training that we would use in high intensity interval training so we recently had a series of q a's with michael rosenblatt uh, on where he talked about how uh, long intervals may be more effective than short intervals so for example you would rather do four or five minute uh, intervals quote-unquote vo2 max intervals than do 30 seconds on 30 seconds off or 30 15s and so on in terms of 
the effect that it has on time trial performance at least which is a really good outcome measure however i do think that if we dig a bit deeper into the individual response there is a case for slow twitch athletes doing well with the shorter intervals because they can more quickly burn off all the anaerobic excess the anaerobic energy they have and get into working aerobically so 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 slow twitch athlete would do really well with 30 15s or 60 30s and the like and uh, and yeah that seems to work very well for them and they would still be using a lot of aerobic energy for that because they don't have a large anaerobic battery in the first place but uh, a more fast twitch athlete with a large anaerobic battery if they do something like that it's quite easy to get into a situation where they would choose use a majority of their anaerobic energy to get through that workout and and not tap into their aerobic energy stores too much and or train the aerobic system so much i should say so with fast twitch athletes i tend to lean on rather going longer having longer intervals they don't have to be super intense they have to be above critical power so be in a severe intensity domain but uh, i would rather err on the side of longer intervals and then what happens is that in the first couple of minutes you gradually deplete the anaerobic energy stores and you gradually become more and more aerobic in that interval and of course this occurs not just on an interval within the interval basis but between interval basis as well so in the fourth interval when you have definitely burnt off most of your anaerobic energy you will be relying really heavily on aerobic energy stores so so i would say from my perspective it does make some sense to use shorter high intensity intervals for very slow to dominant athletes and longer for very fast to dominant athletes then when it comes to moderate intensity training that's something that i definitely think everybody should do but i think but this is this is definitely a place where the art of coaching really comes into play and communication with your athlete and so on fast twitch athletes they definitely take longer to recover from this type of training because in moderate intensity training you will be calling upon your fast twitch fibers and you will potentially be doing that for a fairly long time so they might experience significant fatigue and take significant time to recover whereas for the slow twitch dominant athlete the recovery will be significantly easier and faster so so one common mistake that you can do with very fast twitch dominant athletes is to do too much of the moderate intensity training so that's where you have to be very careful whereas the very slow twitch dominant athlete can potentially do a lot of it and benefit from it then when it comes to the low intensity training this is uh, the difference here isn't so big it's so it's uh, different compared to the moderate intensity training where i think there's a big difference depending on your fiber typology but in the low intensity training potentially i see that more fast twitch athletes benefit from doing the low intensity training really easy so making sure that you stay well aware well away from that moderate intensity training zone and can recover really easily work completely aerobically only only slow twitch fibers and uh, but volume can be quite high there so on the other hand for a more slow twitch athlete maybe you would go a bit on the higher side of the intensity so the easier low intensity maybe pure recovery whereas the bulk of your low intensity training may be more of a steady kind of endurance intensity Uh, volume probably is fairly similar or it can be higher for the slow twitch athletes actually but this is something i think that if you do the intensity right for the fast twitch athlete 
they don't really need to be afraid of volume it's it's really the intensity that is the driver there and getting that right is the is the key in my opinion but but on the whole yes i would say that the fast twitch athlete uh, in their training program has a bit less volume than the slow twitch athletes has for sure and the next point is strength and conditioning so here i don't think that uh, a fast twitch dominant or a slow twitch dominant athlete are need to be training too dissimilarly but uh, there will probably be a bit more individualization and tweaking for fast twitch athletes uh, for example i would probably not have them do explosive training because that can be a fiber shift uh, impact have a fiber shift impact where we make more 2x or 2a fibers from uh, type 1 fibers but uh, that's actually a minor concern and a more major concern is the uh, the injury risk with the explosive training. If you have a lot of fast twitch muscle fibers, then explosive training can be quite dangerous uh, So because you can produce a lot of force really quickly. And uh, if you're not careful, then that can lead to injury. So with slow twitch athletes, generally not too big a problem at all uh, because just the forces produced by us triathletes are pretty meek. But with fast switch athletes, you you need to be you need to be a lot more more careful, and also things like the recovery between sets and so on. Uh, I do think that you might need to tweak them a bit, make them even longer for the fast switch athletes. Uh, so so there are some tweaks uh, for fast switch versus slow switch athletes here, but on the whole, not too dissimilar. I would still rely on on heavy weights low reps and uh, long rests between sets typically you would do for example three exercises where you do two or three sets of five reps with two to three minutes rest between sets the fast twitch athletes would probably do three minutes rest and the slow twitch maybe two minutes rest between sets and uh, the five the weight would be basically such that when you're doing five reps for example you could be doing one more rep, maybe two, but that would be it. So pretty close to what the maximum you can achieve for five reps. That's just kind of the bulk of how you do strength training that can lead to beneficial adaptations for endurance performance. And finally, the final point in consideration would be the nutrition and carbohydrate requirements, both in workouts and also outside of workouts. So with more fast twitch muscle fibers comes a heavier reliance on glycolytic energy and a heavier reliance on carbohydrate so the more fast twitch dominant you are the more you really need to make sure that you get in enough carbohydrates to replace the uh, the needs that you have and the requirements of the work you're doing and uh, that's basically it uh, nothing nothing more fancy about that and uh, that's not to say that slow twitch athletes don't need any carbohydrates because of course they do but it becomes just even more important especially considering the recovery time course and uh, the high propensity of fast twitch athletes to maybe overtrain this this all blends into each other and nutrition is such a critical part of overtraining if you want to call it that so so with athletes that have a more of a fast twitch propensity you need to be really careful with nutrition and carbohydrate needs so I hope this helps uh, and uh, that's it for today's Q&A. I will link to all the studies mentioned in the episode description. Definitely worth checking them out. Uh, if you have questions that you want answered on a future Q&A, send them to michael at scientifictriathlon.com and it's Michael with a K. And if you're interested in coaching, 
our training plans, consultations, check out the products and services we have on scientifictriathlon.com. We would love to help you go faster, set a new PB, get a new podium, complete your first race, whatever it may be, in a way that is suitable to you, uh, whether it's, for example, coaching or a training plan. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get a free hydration plan and uh, a good estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat by taking a simple quiz that you can do in a few minutes and you can get 15% off your electrolyte products that you should then match to your sweat sodium concentration level with the promo code show 15 And a big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Go and check out their wetsuits, dry suits, swim skins, goggles, high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can find on roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.